We are continuing our time in the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 7, and we will be, uh, I'll get into that in a moment. Um, It is, uh, I'm taking a bigger chunk because this, uh, essentially it's it's a transition from our past messages in Romans 7. So if you have not been uh, listening or tuning in to um, the passages up to this point, um, it could could be a little lost. You could miss some things, uh, so I encourage you to do that. But nonetheless, um, we get an amazing testimony by Paul um, here in, in Roman, the end of Romans chapter 7. But one of the things that I want us all to try to resonate with, or not only resonate with, but to be transparent with ourselves, especially in our thought process, um, entering into this passage is, um, have you ever found yourself uh, reflecting on a choice or a decision that you made and then realizing that did not honor God? That did not honor God. I think uh, at some level we can all, as believers, right, we can all relate to this, to this action, this thought process, this occurrence in our life. Um, and if you're not a believer, then it's something that you can even think about. It's like, okay, it was, is there choices that I've regretted? Is there things that I've done that I know I should not have done? Um, but I did them anyways. Um, and what was that like? Can you recall the, the choice, the decision, the instance? Can you remember the emotion, the thoughts, the choices? Is it clear to you? Do you remember? I know we, I typically make sure we, we go to the side of understanding and leaning on and standing on Scripture, God's Word above all things, and not allow emotion to take over because emotion is a dangerous thing. Emotion is a very sinful thing. As the scripture says, the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who should know it? But understanding that there are emotions that we have and God has given us emotions and and, uh, there are things that emotion is tied to. And if I reflect and think in my own life and some of the decisions that I've made um, and reflecting on those and decisions that I know that I, you know, choices that I made, I was like, I shouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have made that choice. I shouldn't have made that decision. I shouldn't have uh, done this or thought that or these different things. And as I reflect on that, I can think of that emotion that I had, right, and that feeling. And I don't know for you, but for me, there's there's almost like an overwhelming, um, like being covered in guilt, per se. I feel guilty, right? I feel unworthy. Um, I feel like I don't deserve God's grace. I feel like I don't deserve um, his blessings or even his favor in any shape or form. Have you ever asked yourself and pondered long enough, um, and some of us are thinkers, we, we really think and process and, and uh, are very um, that's a very big part of, of who we are, our character and our personality, right? Why did I make that choice? Why did I do that? Um, something that happens for me 
Um, there are things in my life, whether from a very young age to being an adult to being married to, uh, you know, throughout my whole history of life, I'll have random memories pop up into my head and be like, wow, uh, I made a bad choice here. Why did, why did I make a bad choice here? And then I, as, after I think about it and I dwell on it for a few minutes and I'm like, why am I even thinking of this? Where did this even come from? That was 15 years ago. That was 20 years ago. That was five years ago. I've already dealt with that, or I've already, you know, that's gone, that's, you know, that decision has been made, and life has gone on, and, and yeah, have you ever, you ever wonder where that comes from? I don't know about you, but for me, it, it, it's almost as if uh, there are things trying to just make me feel guilty, make me feel unworthy, to put me in a state of, of, of sadness, right, or unworthiness, undeserving. One of the things that I want us to make sure we have at the forefront of our time together this morning um, is to remember this. God's grace. God's grace. And if we truly know the definition of God's grace and experience God's grace, you're right, I'm unworthy. I'm undeserving. Not to feel guilty, but to rejoice, right? But to be glad, to be happy, not in our emotional state, but in our position in Christ. And I bring this up because we are approaching a passage here in Romans 7 um, that Paul becomes very, very transparent for us. He's very vulnerable. He puts it all out there, so to speak. This is one of the reasons why whenever I I, I'm interviewing for a, a pastoral position in a church or I have discussions with people on it. And there's always the question of like, well, how do you maintain the perception of a pastor, right? Um, and, and whenever I'm asked that or a question similar to that is brought up to me and, I, and my response is always the same. I do not. I do not. Because the perception of a pastor is that they are perfect they don't struggle with things, right? They don't have problems. They never make mistakes. And it allows me, it, it triggers a response, right? Because it's not expected for a pastor to respond that way, but then it triggers conversation and I'm allowed to explain myself further. And I enjoy those conversations. And I say that because we are entering into a moment here where Paul essentially does the same thing. Yeah, I'm an apostle, Paul. Yeah, I... I'm writing scripture. I'm one of the chosen, the last to see the risen Christ. But guess what? I struggle too. I don't always make the right choices. So remember God's grace through our time together this morning. Remember, remember his grace and mercy and that we are not alone. And the reason why I say that is because up to this point, we are continuing to 
to look at sin and look at sin and look at sin and look at sin and all these different questions and all these different ways. And, and some of us may continue to be asking, Pastor F, why do we continue to need to look at sin in all these different ways? And it's like, well, for one, it's scripture, right? We slowly, right, walk, crawl sometimes, creep, right, um, through God's word so that we can fully understand and embrace, right, what he's trying to communicate to us. Right. First, trying to communicate to the writer, to the people that uh, essentially like Paul here, Paul is writing to. But then how does this apply to us? What does this mean to us today in our time? And there's all these different questions. You see, the thing is, is that if if our our flesh, our carnality, our depravity that we have. Right. And we're going to see still more of that here and Paul discusses this and mentions this and answers another question here in our time together this morning and understanding that as, as fleshly people, we continue to want to manipulate God's word or to, to, to manipulate the word sin so then we can become more, what, comfortable in our worldliness as we live life here in this fallen world. See, what we continue to do as people, right, we love to find loopholes that we can get to. We love to see how close we can get to sin without sinning. We love to try to search the scriptures, not for God to teach us, to purify us, to sanctify us, but search the scriptures so that we can find a reason to justify the way that we live our lives. Because conviction is something that we don't like. We don't like to be convicted. We don't. We don't. Some have even said, Pastor Raph, you like to be convicted. And I was like, you know what, I don't. I said, I embrace conviction. I don't always, but I I try to embrace it. I try to accept it because I know that that conviction is ultimately to help me be more like Christ. And so I try not to explain away certain things, but do I find myself doing it? Absolutely. Sometimes I fall into that, right, that that fleshly mindset. Well, this is why I do it. Well, this is this, and this is that, and this is, and I explain things away instead of accepting my shortcomings, accepting my sin, accepting my faults, ultimately to be transformed and renewed and sanctified as God calls each and every one of us as believers to do. Not only does he call us to do it, he calls us to desire it. Is it a desire that we have? So before we go any further, let me pray, and we will get into our text this morning. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us as we approach your word this morning. May our time together be one that is not only edifying and uplifting and glorifying to you, Lord God, but one that is convicting. Convicting to the point that we understand that it is for our benefit to be more like you, to be more like Jesus Christ. These convictions are not for anyone else, but for me, for the individual. Not for the person to my left or my right, but for me. So may I have ears to hear and eyes to see and embrace your word. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking at Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 25. If you're not already there, please turn there and follow along as I read God's word. And we will be finishing up Romans chapter 7. I will be taking bigger chunks um, out of this on purpose to keep it in context. Um, and, And I'm sure you know why. But here we go. Romans chapter 7, verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging a war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Amen. So we see very quickly here, and hopefully we're able to to keep track or to to keep in step, right, and march with the scripture and and Paul's testimony here. We're going to deal with 13 and 14 in just a moment, because this is, he addresses something briefly here as he transitions into his testimony, right, in verse 15, but um, this is, this is what I commonly call the doo-doo passage, okay? Any youth pastor that has been doing youth ministry for long enough understands that, you know, we love to call this the doo-doo passage. Why? Because junior hires get quite a giggle out of that title, okay? If you're not a junior hire and you laugh about it, then um, I understand we all want to be a Toys R Us kid, okay? We don't want to grow up, but I find it funny still to this day, and so uh, don't be ashamed if you laugh at that. All right, let's get to our text. Verses 13 and 14, we're going to tackle that first, and this is going to be a transition or a segue from the message from last week, verses 7 through 12. Verse 13 says, Do that which is good, then bring death, 
to me. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Paul continues to push on and clarify here for the last time, right before he he gives a a transparent look into his struggle and how he um, has struggled or has continued to struggle with things, right? Um, Commonly known as the believer's struggle. He wants to, to make sure that we don't blame the law, right, for sin. We don't blame something good for sin. The law didn't cause him to sin. Sin doesn't come from the law. The law exposes the sin that is within, right? Because it is good, essentially, as he put it in the previous passage that we looked at last week. The law is good and it is holy and it is not the cause of sin. Now, essentially, sin is using something good, right, to produce sin within Paul. And that's what we learned last week. And he wants to make sure he clarifies that and we understand that. Okay, ultimately, the cause is sin. It is not the law because the law is good and holy. Now, Paul continues to reject this point or this argument, okay, here by, in, and we see this in verse 18, did that which is good then bring death to me, okay? Sin brought death. The law didn't bring death. Sin brought death. So he's saying that which is good, how can something good bring death, okay? It didn't. Make sure we understand that. We embrace that. Why? Because as we get into Paul's testimony, sometimes people manipulate Paul's testimony and say, ah, look, it's not me that's at fault, right? And we love to blame other things for the sins that we commit, okay? Scripture tells us contrary to that. Scripture argues against that. Scripture does not support that at any level, okay? I want to make that clear now. The law was simply the instrument used by sin to accomplish its purpose. Now, Paul takes it a step further by stating that the law is spiritual and that the flesh has been sold under sin. Okay? Now, some of us might be thinking the law is spiritual, and we're, we're trying to process that. I'm going to get to that in a moment, okay, because we're going to turn to a passage, and I'm going I'm to kind of lay that out for you, okay? Um, But we have to understand this is just the instrument that God intended to be good, right, to to be holy. And then sin has come in and manipulated that in Paul's life, causing him to live a sinful life. Do you remember the the sin that Paul had that he was dealing with? Right. And this is before he was a believer. Right. His covetousness, what he coveted. And he coveted this, this wrong commandment, this wrong law to uphold all the laws. And this became bigger than God himself and Paul's life. Okay? And this was his 
sin that he was struggling with that he was under. And this is where we kind of see that he, he was sold into sin. And, and it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Did God sell him? No, this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve to where we're all born into sin, right? Okay, into the slavery. And it's a reference to, to, to being, being sold into slavery. And when Adam and Eve and the original sin happened, essentially what that did is sold us all into sin, to be slaves to sin. Why? Because we are all born into sin. We know that from Scripture. We know that going all the way back to Romans chapter 3, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Something that we've already looked at and taught on and, and looked from even in Romans chapter 1. Okay? So, he knows that, an that as an unbeliever, nothing good lives in him. He is of the flesh. He is carnal, right? Okay? Total depravity, right? So then we begin to see the contrast or, or the, the constant battle between good and evil and dark and light, right? And Paul depicts this struggle in a way that I personally um, feel that is done very, very well on how Paul explains it if we really see for what it is and what Paul intended it, what God intended it for it to be for each and every one of us. But his point here of the law being spiritual means that the law deals with the inner man, okay? The law deals with the inner man, the spiritual part of man, as well as the outer actions. The spiritual emphasis, um, it's, we can see very, very clearly, okay? There's one of my favorite passages right, in all of the scriptures in Matthew, but I'm going to take you to the original source in Deuteronomy. So let's turn to Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, quite a bit to the left. Now, I'm not going to read a whole bunch here. I'm just going to read the, the, the two verses, okay, um, and then I'll commentate on that. Um, but hopefully I can lay out for you. You can see how the law is very spiritual and holy, as Paul stated here in Romans chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Okay? They are to keep these commandments, and if we remember in Matthew, right, where they said, Lord, the, okay, Jesus, I'm going to test you. And they go to test him, and it's like, okay, which is the greatest commandment, right? Do you remember that? Okay. And they were trying to trick him, okay? And of all these, which is the greatest? And he said, well, love the Lord God with all of your head, heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And he says, the second one is like it, okay? He says, all other commandments hinge, hinge, right, on these two. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? That is good. That is holy. 
right? That is spiritual. We can't think of the law as some rules and regulations, right? Some cosmic killjoy that God has put in place, right? To essentially, ah, if you're a Christian, you can't be happy. There's a lot of unbelievers out there. A lot of people actually hate God or refuse God for some personal reason that they may have. And they said, well, Christianity is a crutch. That's just when you can't make it on your own. That's just when you're weak, right? Or Christianity, that's, that's just like a, a, a false hope for you to, to, to put your hope in and just live a miserable life. You can't do anything fun. And people attack the faith, right? It, it, it is mind-blowing to me how much, right, Christians are attacked. It, it's mind-blowing to me with no instigation, right? With no poking, no prodding, nothing. Absolutely mind-blowing to me. A challenge that I gave many years ago to college students at the UC, I said, you know what, for a week, just carry your Bible. Just carry it. You don't, don't, I'm not even asking you to read it to people or anything. Just carry it around. When you go into class, set it on your desk. Some of, the, some of the feedback that I got from students taking that challenge was like it didn't surprise me, but it was very revealing and eye-opening to the students who actually took that challenge. Nothing provoked whatsoever. Anger. Attacks. It's just it, it, that should reveal something to each and every one of us. God's law is holy. It's precious. Why don't we embrace it that way? Paul is making it very clear. Very clear here. Before he transitions into verse 15, okay? Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. Carrying around my Bible offends people. I am not causing them to sin. That is a choice that they are making on their own. The law, God's word, is not causing them to sin. We love to use this word insight these days. I have my own views on that. I won't get into it. But uh, cancel culture is after the Christian faith. It incites violence. It incites hatred. Okay. How is that? Well, when you say this or I see this, it makes me angry. Then control yourself. I'm not making you do anything. Yes, we see something unfortunate or bad happen. We have emotions. Things are brought up within us. But the thing is, is God's word is, is loving, embracing, right? Think about it. God's grace, undeserved favor. God wants to give you something that you don't deserve. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve the grace that God has for you. Isn't that amazing? 
But yet so many people are angry, turn violent, right? It is absolutely mind-blowing to me. I guess it shouldn't be. I, I, I stand up here as if I'm shocked in some way that, you know, and the Scriptures tell us this. Remember that they hate you because of your faith. Remember they hated me first. Remember they're going to hate you. They're going to reject you. Why? Because they don't understand my word. They're going to do these things. Don't be surprised. You will be persecuted because you love me. Ah, there's another question. When was the last time you were persecuted for your faith? When was the last time? Scriptures tell us it's something that is ongoing. That's another sermon for another time, but one of the questions you can ask yourself is, how am I living out my faith? So you have to remember, as Paul's saying here, look, did, did that which is good bring death to me? No. This is not bringing sin. Sin is already there. It's exposing the sin from within. There's sin there, and when it's applied, when the light is shined on the things in the darkness, it's exposed, and it's like a cockroach trying to run for the nearest exit, trying to hide, trying to get out of the way. Sin does the exact same thing. Exact same thing. Some people say if we got in a big nuclear war and everybody's doing nukes and then mankind is wiped out, as you know it, the one thing that would still be left is cockroaches. But my point is this, sin does that in each and every one of our lives. And Paul is going to give us a glimpse and, 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 a, and, a, and, a, and a front row seat, so to speak, into his life and his struggle here as we go into verse 15. How are we living out our faith? How do we see the word? How do we see it? The commandments, the truth. Do we embrace it? Or are we afraid of it? Are we ashamed of it? Our fear is what others may think of us. Something that we all need to personally digest. Let's move on. Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now we see Paul transition his words from past tense to present tense. If we look at and if we even study, like grammatically speaking, the word usage that Paul has in all of seven, all the way up to to 14, we, we begin to see some transition in verse 14 if we really dive into it, right? I know we don't all do that or have time for that or understand that, okay? And then going into 15, it says, for I do not understand, right? We move from past tense to present tense. Now, Paul is personalizing this, and he's saying, now where I am right now, as I write this letter, I am saying this. What is the big difference that we need to understand? Okay, leading up to this, unsaved 
Paul's reflection on himself as a non-believer, verse 15, now Paul's reflection and transparency and testimony as a believer, okay? We see that transition, and we're going to see other things that, that make us, not make us, but point us in that and confirm, right, okay, where Paul is and how he's writing this, okay? And I'm not going to point out every single one. You guys can um, do that on your own. Now, this verse being one of the most real and transparent inner testimonies by Paul, uh, inner look at the very real struggle from within a believer, and this believer is Paul. Yes, Paul, uh, one of the the apostles, one of the the one of the ones who wrote the the majority of the New Testament. So honestly, this can be a testimony by every one of us. It can be a testimony that it could be of me, it could be of you. It's that relatable. An honest look at the conflict between two natures that dwell inside of every Christian. As Paul explains, explains it um, almost as if he has a split personality. And we can go back and look and says, For I do not understand my own actions. Okay? For I do not understand my own actions. It's like somebody coming up to you and saying, Hey, why'd you do that? I don't know. No, seriously, why did you do this? I don't know why I did that. I have no idea, right? Paul says, for I do not do what I want. So it's like, I didn't want to do that. Then why did you do it? I don't know. I just did. I didn't want to do it. But I do the very thing I hate. I thought you liked that person. Why did you do that to them? I don't know. I do like that person. I didn't want to do that. But why did you do it? I don't know. Sound familiar? Are we beginning to get a little glimpse of what, where Paul is taking us? As Paul explains, it's almost as if he has this split personality, okay, it's not that he blacked out and he didn't know what he was doing. He just can't. He's like, why do I do this, right? And we're going to see that struggle, that agony almost within Paul coming out in his words. Have you ever been there? Can you relate to Paul? What are your struggles as a Christian? Turn me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, if you're in Romans, just turn a little bit to your right. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. And on the board it says 8. I apologize, but I'm going to start in verse 7. Um, it says, Galatians chapter 4, verse 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So it's talking about your salvation, okay? Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved, right? And we saw that in Paul's words in verse 14. It says, to those that by nature are not gods, okay? But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak 
and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Do you desire to be slaves of sin again? Do you desire to be slaves of sin? We see very clearly here in Galatians, it says, but now you have come to know God, so you're saved, right? And we go back to verse 7, it says, of our salvations, we're sons of God, we're heirs through God of the kingdom, right? To know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary preachings or elementary principles, right, of what? The world. The world. We, this is where the Christian, right, and westernized society compromises more and more and more as we progress in culture, society, right, as a human race. We compromise. We compromise. So many that I personally know that I've either gone to school with, that I've done ministry with, have allowed the world to seep in and say, you know what, maybe what I was taught or maybe what I learned in God's word isn't really all true. Isn't all true. Because I feel, and this is why I always say, be careful of your emotions, because it's always an emotion, right, that Satan loves to get a foothold in your life. And we're going to look at that later here in a moment, okay? Loves to seep in and say, you know what? You got to go back to Adam and Eve, right? And what did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say that? And that emotion triggers within you, well, I don't know how God would condemn these people. But God is, God is love and loving, and, and, and he wants to give undeserved favor. He wants to give grace. So then why wouldn't he apply it here? But the scriptures say this. Yeah, but the scriptures say that. But, you know, does it really mean these people? And all we're doing is we're playing the role of Satan and Adam and Eve in the garden all over again. All over again. And it starts with an emotion. And with that emotion, it begins to trigger, and we lose, as, as Paul's going to, we're going to see here in a moment, the battle for the mind, right? Because that emotion begins, what? A questioning within us. Why? Because how we feel. That's why it's like, look, I, I love you. I care about you. I, I would lay down my life for each and every one of you. But it's not about how you feel. It's what, what does God's word say? Because our emotions should not contradict God's word. It shouldn't. But they do. That's why we need to be in God's word. That's why God's word is our filter. This is what we stand on. This is our foundation, our cornerstone in Christ. Because when we have these emotions, and they will come. And we have these emotions, and sometimes they're healthy, and they're fine, and they're good, and they're holy. But then we have emotions that aren't, and they want to lead us astray. But then we need to go to God's Word. We need to go to prayer and filter those emotions through God's Word and through prayer. By no means am I saying, oh, if you're a Christian, you can't have emotion. 
What I am saying is we need to be careful. We need to be discerning. We need to understand we have this filter, and it's God's word. It's the truth. Why? Because it leads us to sin. It causes a struggle. We see that here, Galatians 4. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary preachings of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? It doesn't make sense, does it? In a way, we almost become too smart for our own good. Do we truly desire to be slaves to sin once again? As Paul says here in verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. Why do I desire these things? I don't want them. Why do I desire it? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Hate. Wow, hate's such a strong word. Absolutely. And you know what? I think it needs to be brought more into our English language. Why? Because we're trying to get rid of anything that's very strong, very offensive. But guess what? What does God tell us to hate? Sin. Sin. Did we pay attention to Psalm 26? I won't even sit down with the corrupt. I won't even be uh, in fellowship with the wicked. I won't even do that. Those that are against you, Lord, I won't even befriend them. Well, Pastor Raph, that's not very loving. You know what's not loving is not sharing the gospel with sinners. That's what's not loving. See, we have to understand, we have misprioritized the things in Scripture. Why? Because we want to be comfortable. This is just as much as for me as it is for you. We have to be careful on how we, we look at God's word and we prioritize God's word. We have to pay attention to what the word says, because Paul does. Think about it. Paul didn't care. Paul has a whole testimony of confronting sin over and over and over again. I hope my writings are enough, so when I, when I come in person, I don't have to confront you face to face. Because I will. He did it to Peter when Peter sinned, and Peter conf uh, Paul confronted Peter right in front of all his friends. We have to read the scriptures and understand what they say when it comes to sin and such things and not turning back to the worldliness, right? We need to understand and embrace what this means, regardless of our thought of reputation or our thought of possibly losing Facebook or Instagram followers. It does not matter. doesn't matter. shouldn't matter. should have no weight or value to us. It's frivolous. Do we have kingdom thinking? Right? Now, Paul writes this, not so just that we can be convicted, but also we can be encouraged, okay? And don't get me wrong, we will get there, okay? But I want us to truly get into that point of, okay, I need to be transparent with my life right now, with my thoughts and my actions, okay? Because ultimately, our time together when we come and worship and hear the teaching and preaching of God's word is ultimately to change your life, okay? Not change the 
the, the intellectual filing that you have in your brain to where it's like, okay, that's a good sermon. Let me put it here. Or you know what? I don't like that one. I'm going to put it over here. And, it, and I know that's all it is. It's just more intellect for us. just more knowledge for us. It needs to change our lives. There needs to be conviction, and conviction brings change, right? At least it should. So let's continue on. We're going to take a bigger, a bigger chunk here, verses 16 through 20, okay? So 16 says, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Okay? Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells within me. Huge clarification. Okay, and I'll mention it as, I, as I'm breaking this down too, is Paul is not saying, oh, I'm having in like an outer body experience, and when I sin, that's not me. It's just sin doing it. That's not true. That's not what Paul is saying, okay? He wouldn't say, why do I do the things I don't want to do, the things that I hate? It's Paul doing it. What he's trying to explain is there is still a, a carnality. There's still a flesh. There's still a, there's still a struggle of sin within him. Just because he's a believer doesn't mean it's all gone and disappeared. There's this struggle. Yes, positionally we are saved. Positionally we are perfect. Positionally we are, we are holy, right? Because God sees us through Christ. But here on this earth, we still have those struggles, right? We are still going to deal with sin. We're still going to deal with the flesh, right? That's what he says. There's nothing good within me. And he's not saying, oh, I'm just completely bad. It's like I was back over in, in the first part or the, all the other part of, of Romans 7. But he's saying, no, it's not that. It's just uh, nothing good. My members is what I'm talking about. My flesh, right? And he clarifies that. So now Paul knows that he should not do, um, he knows what he should not do, right? And this is a clear desire he has. But the law keeps him honest and true and is good, even though it exposes his sin and his flesh, okay? He's, uh, he's articulating and understanding, he's like, look, the, now I know what I, I, I'm doing, I shouldn't be doing that. Right. And then that that lets me know that, OK, I, I, I am with the law and the law is good. OK, because a non-believer doesn't look at the law as good. They, they push away the law. They want nothing to do with the law. Right. We talked about that. But it's saying, OK, that that that's showing me that that what I'm doing and I understand it's a bad. Now, even though I have that struggle, right, of doing what I don't want to do and what I hate, but the, but the, 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 the understanding that I, I don't want to do it and that I hate it reminds me, okay, uh, I'm a Christian because the law is exposing this in my life. Do we get it? The law is exposing this in my life. That's a good thing. It's exposing these things in my life. 
This is why believers and non-believers run from God's word, run from the law. This is why Christians, if I said, hey, why don't you, you know, just carry your Bible to and from school, you know, each class, just carry your Bible. No, 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 I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, why not? It's going to cause problems, Pastor Raph. So? No, that's not your problem. Oh, well, that's not very loving. I was like, it's not? Well, people, people don't like seeing it. Well, why don't you think they like seeing it? Well, because they're, they're living a sinful life or they don't, they don't like God's word or they reject God's word. It's like, well, then that should be a reason why we should carry it, right? Remember, there's no, there's no good news without the bad news, right? What did Paul tell us before? The law was given and exposed the sin. This is why we don't spend more time in Scripture. Well, I don't spend time in Scripture, Raph, because I don't have time. Trust me. The things you want, the things you desire, the things you are passionate about, you will make time. You will make time. 100% truth. 100% truth. The things I desire, the things I want to do, I will make time for them. I'm always busy. I always tell people that. Pastor Raph, are you busy? I'm always busy. Oh, okay. I was like, no, no, no. Tell me. See, here's the thing. I'm always busy, but when things come along and they need my time, right, I make time for them. I make time. I always tell students or other believers, even Pastor Rick, Pastor Stephen, I'm like, hey, I'm always busy. But you tell me, I will make time. Why? Because it's a priority. It means something to me. It's a desire that I have. Don't get me wrong. It might need me right now. It's like right now I need, it's like, can can I wait a minute? Can I wait till tomorrow? Right? Okay, there's situations. It's different. But we'll make time. This is why believers and non-believers don't like the Word of God. It's like, wow, can someone be a believer or not? Absolutely. You ever been believers like, I just don't like reading my Bible. Why not? Well, I don't have time. Uh, wait, 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 wait. There, that's a surface level answer. Well, I don't understand it. That's a surface level answer. Why? What indwells within us to help us understand the word? The Holy Spirit. Right? Why don't we desire God's word more? A lot of times, we're afraid of what it's going to expose in the dark places within us. A lot of times, we're not ready to change our lives. It's that simple. And we have this mindset of, ah, it's the law, it's the law. It's like, oh, man, what a drag. Oh, being a Christian so boring. You have the wrong understanding, Right? How do we take the passage of Silas? Consider it pure joy, right? That's under pressure and persecution and hard times, right? Wow, if that's pure joy, then hey, not being in that should be even better. 
It's all perspective, right, and how we view and see God and what's our desire. Let's continue on. Paul continues to explain in these verses his struggle and the flesh that takes a hold of him even when that is not his desire. Does this sound familiar? Does any of this sound familiar? Does any of this resonate? We now, uh, we will see the real struggle, the new life, the new self, the new man in Christ is now causing conflict with the old self, the flesh, the corpse, right? When you become a believer, it's like you see friends or family members or whatever, they're like excited, like, yeah, Jesus this and Jesus that. And it's like, okay, we call that the honeymoon stage and then it dies off. Why does it die off? Because then it begins to in, 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 encroach upon, right, the old self, the old habits, right? Exposes the things in the darkness. And then as it does that, it's like, whoa, wait a second. I didn't sign up for that. I, I, I like this little Christian bubble and hugs and kisses and everybody's good, rainbows and butterflies and unicorns and, you know, whatever our perspective of, of Christian faith, because sometimes it's, presented to us in such a way that it's not what it really is, right? It's like, wait a second, I have to change. I can't do this. I can't do that. Oh, my goodness. And if we really look at the scriptures and we've paid attention and we've listened to past sermons and we understand, oh, it's not that we, I can't do that. It's like, I don't want to do that. Why? Because my desire is to honor and please God. I want to follow him. I want to serve him. I want to honor him. Why? Because man, I, I look at I, I don't deserve this. Look at the price that has been paid for me. How much more does that cause us to fall in love with God? And that love overflows into our actions and how we live. It's like, wow, this doesn't please God. I don't want to do it. This doesn't honor God. I don't want to do it. Our mindset begins to change, and we see that conflict where that new self, that new man in Christ, that new person, that new being begins to encroach upon and push against to kick out essentially the old self, the flesh, that dead corpse, that old man, as Paul put it. Dennis, turn, turn with me to Acts 26. Just a little bit to the left. Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, verse 15. And I, I had to put this in here because this is Paul's conversion, right? Paul's conversion and Jesus speaking to him and saying, and, the, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Okay? It says here, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Okay? So he's like, for this purpose, Saul, who will become Paul, this is the purpose in which I'm appearing to you, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and a place among those who are sanctified by the faith in me. Personalize that. Personalize it. God, why did you pick me? Well, because I'm Jesus, right? Rise, stand on your feet. I'm appointing you to be a servant and a witness, right? So you would go to the people, okay, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of their sins. This is the... Jesus is essentially telling Saul what his purpose is. And he, and, and, but we have already all been given our purpose in the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where it says, go and what? Make disciples. It's the same thing. Sometimes we feel that, okay, I'm just going to live comfortable in my Christian life and do what I want and just, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to have my non-Christian friends and my Christian friends and I'll do this with my non-Christian friends and then I'll do this with my Christian friends and I live happy and I'm comfortable and I'm this and I'm that. But the thing is, it's not honoring and pleasing to God because we are not living out our faith. We're not. And sometimes until God knocks us on our butt, right, and we have a coming to Jesus moment, right, and it doesn't always happen. Hey, Raph, dummy, wake up. Go and make disciples. Go and share the gospel. Bring people from the darkness to the light. Show them. Teach them that they need to repent of their sins. Why do we need to have this? We need to understand that our desires that God has for us should be the desires that we have for ourselves. So we see here how Jesus came and God came and struck down Saul and they said, look, this is what you need to do. And we see the trans transformation of Saul. We now know it's Paul. Now we know we are reading his writings here. One of the things, as I mentioned before, we must not excuse our sin by passing it off to indwelling sin. We are responsible for what we do, and we must not use this passage as an excuse. We must learn what Paul learned and what he learned here so that we can grow and continue the sanctification of our spiritual walk. We must learn to identify our flesh our corrupt nature, and fight back. That's why I said, is it a really a struggle? Is it really something you're struggling with? Or is it just something that you do, right? We must fight back and be delivered from ever looking at our old nature as anything good. And that's the thing sometimes we get confused with is that we, we, we think that, okay, from our old self, and our old before our transformation, before being uh, born again, he's like, there's some things like, oh, that's good, and we want to take it with us, and we want to hang on to it. Um, uh, I'm going to explain that hopefully a little bit better in a moment. I'm going to tell you a story, but um, until we until we fully take that on and deal with that, right, and basically it's until glory. 
this, this battle of these two natures just rages. Just rages on. And it basically, it's just, it, a lot of times it comes down to which one are you going to feed more? Which one are you going to feed more? I'm going to feel the new being, the new self, my spiritual side, right? Or am I going to feed the old self, right? And it's like some of us are over here trying to give CPR to our old self, dead corpse. Because we can't let go. We can't let go. We continue to give Satan a foothold in our lives. Turn me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. And I, I, I've used this a couple times um, recently, but um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth, okay, speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members, right, one of another. So this is speaking of the body of Christ, okay? This is speaking of believers, the body of Christ, your neighbor, members, okay? This is not necessarily my neighbor over here or over there. It's actual, right, the body of Christ in which we belong. Christians, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. So it's not saying don't be angry, right? It says don't sin in your anger, okay? Something I need to continue to work on, right? Do not let the sun go down on your anger anger okay that means deal with the problems okay quickly accordingly verse 20 verse 27 and give no opportunity to the devil okay and give no opportunity to the devil right we need to understand that as believers we need to not give Satan a foothold in our lives, okay? Um, I, man, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe back in like 2004, I heard this story and it really resonated with me. And it's like this, it's like, you want to buy a house, right? And you can say, okay, you want to buy this house, right? And it's like, okay, I sell you the house. And it's like, look, I'm going to sell you the house. I'm going to give it to you at a really good deal. And you're like, okay, great. I get a great deal on this house. Said, but you see, you see this, this, this uh, big stake up there. It's almost like a like a railroad um, stake, the big thick ones that you see, right? And you see that up there. And like, yeah, it's like I own that. Okay, that's mine. But everything else is yours. But that stake. Okay. So everything happens, the transition happens, and, and the people go to move in, and they come in, and they notice up on that stake a big piece of meat. And they call and say, hey, y- you have this. It's like, no, I, I own that stake. That stake is mine. But you have a big raw piece of meat hanging from that stake. I was like, but that stake is mine. Okay, but that, no, the stake is mine. So the people move in, and they begin to live, and then what happens to that raw piece of meat? 
begins to rot, begins to smell, attract flies, stink. People are like, sir, you need to come and get your piece of meat off the steak. No, I, that's my steak. Whatever I want to do with it, I can do. It's mine. But it smells, it's drawing flies. It's like, that's not my problem. That's mine. But this is our house. It doesn't matter if it's your house. That's mine. The piece of meat gets so rotten, so foul, so many flies, the people move out. They give up. They're like, we, we can't deal with this. We can't live here. Sin does the exact same thing in your life. And we don't let it all go. And we don't deal with it. It could be the smallest thing. And Satan's like, ah, I got a stake in that person's life. And it's like rotting meat from within. And it stinks and it festers and it brings flies and it's rotten and it's no good. In our same, in the same way in our lives, we allow sin to do that. But see, here's the thing. We're the ones that own that stake. And we're like, nope, I don't want to get rid of it. It's mine. I, it, it's going to stay there. And God's saying, look, you need to get rid of that. It's not good. Look at what it's doing. It smells. It stinks. It's going to bring you down. No, it's mine. That's my stake. I give you everything else, God, but I want this. And we have this mentality and we think something's good for us and we think that it's not, you know, that's not too bad. That's not so bad. And we don't want to give it up. We don't want to let it go. But God's saying we need to. It's festering. It's smelly. It, it, it's no good for anybody. Oh, but it's mine. In the same way, we don't want to deal with our flesh. We don't want to deal with our sin. But we must. Why? Because if we don't, it's going to bring you down. It will bring you down. And we see Paul's struggle here. It's like, man, there's... this. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And this is just how he feels. He feels like there's no hope. He feels like he just can't do anything about it. And, and we're getting this sense and this understanding from Paul. It's like, man, this is Paul. Spiritual giant. Amazing man of God. Wrote most of the New Testament. How is such a man dealing with such things? He continues on, verse 21, 22, 23. With a little, we get a, get a crescendo, so to speak, in verse 24. But it says, so I find it to be a law. And this, the, uh, I don't know if you ever saw this before, okay? And, I, and I, if, you, if you haven't, then pay attention. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, 
evil lies close at hand. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. The experience of life led Paul to conclude that whenever he desired to do what is good, sin reared its ugly head. It's like, oh, remember me? Anytime Paul desired or was going to or being obedient to do what is good and holy and pleasing to God, temptation was there. Sin popped up. Ever happened to you? Sound familiar? It's so consistent, Paul says in verse 21, I find it to be a law. It's like, man, it's like almost like a law, like gravity, right? Okay, those that know physics and all these different laws and, and Newton's law and this law and this, uh, I'm not even going to try to quote or explain certain things. I'll just mess it up or confuse you, okay? But he's like, it, it's so consistent. It's, it's like it's a law. Like, it's like it has to happen. His desire to do what is right was constantly confronted by sin's temptation. And this was so consistent that Paul ended up designating it as a law. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever noticed that trend as you desire to follow God? Um, man, I can't remember the last time I told this story. I'm sure my, my wife's going to remind me. There was a time uh, when I worked at the prison in Atwater, maximum security penitentiary, um, and there was some claims made against me by an inmate. And so long story short, I had embarrassed an inmate who was in a gang in front of his gang members, and the expectation was that you know, he had to do something about it. Um, I was pretty well respected amongst the inmates as far as a, as a correctional officer and, and a staff member, and so... Um, this inmate, instead of doing something against me, he went back to his cell, had his cellmate beat him up, and then that night went to the captain and said that I beat him up. And so these allegations were made against me, and so because of that, I had to be removed from the institution to an outside institution and while the investigation was going on. So during this time, um, I was pretty broken up about it, and I was wrestling with, like, man, why is this happening to me, all these different things. Um, I was actually in Bible college. I was um, working at a church at the same time. And, uh, and it was well known that I was a Christian throughout that prison. Um, you know, I, was, I wasn't quiet about my faith at all. I'd have a lot of inmates talk to me about um, the Christian faith, and I would talk to them about, you know, if they weren't Christian, what they believed, and so on and so forth. And, and I found myself really through that, that trial, that tribulation, so to speak, while the investigation was going on, I went on for six months. And I found myself just in God's word and in prayer like hours at a time. Because where I was, there was like really nothing for me to do out there. Um, and, but I had to be there. Um, I was getting paid. Um, and the word started to get around, right? I even, had, uh, I even had a staff member come to me at one point saying, hey, do you want us to take care of the problem for you? I'm like, no, 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 no. 
Um, or I, I even had inmates approach me one time um, saying the same thing. Um, I'm like, no, just let it let it play out. Um, and and as that happened, you know, I, I, I went through different times of like distress and different things. And then this one inmate, um, he said, hey, you know, I heard what's going on and you doing OK. And I was like, no, I appreciate that. It's like I'm doing all right. I'm you know, it's rough, you know, and and uh, he said. Um, he said these words to me that like in my mind is still very, very clear. Right? And this was, man, when was this? 2000, maybe 2004. Um, and he goes, he goes, just remember this, okay? If Satan's not attacking you, then you're already doing his work. If Satan's not attacking you, then you're already doing his work. And man, did those words really impact me. And they still to today. It still remind me to this day that I'm going to be attacked. That if I'm on the right path, that Satan doesn't want me to be on that path. And as, it, and, and as I read and I study this, this testimony by Paul saying, look, it's like a law. If I'm doing something good, if I'm doing something for God, right, Satan's right there. Evil is right there. Don't think for an instant. Just because you, you become a Christian, the struggles are gone. Everything is just a bed of roses. Everything is going to be perfect, hunky-dory. Okay, uh, some of you are too young to know what that means, right? But just everything is just fine. And no problems, no struggles. If anything, you're going to have more. You're going to have more. Now, I hope through this we can see Paul's struggle, right? And we can see how he's just like, man, there's almost like there's no hope. If Satan's not attacking you, then maybe you're already doing his work. I, I don't have this up here. I want us to turn, turn there, though, to Hebrews chapter 12. And I know I'm going kind of long already. I apologize, but we'll be wrapping up here in a moment. There's just a... It's just a, a, a passage that came to me this morning, and I, I wanted to add it in. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, what? Dis <clears throat> endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Verse 4 In your struggle against sin, okay, this is why I use the word struggle. Okay, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have not yet struggled to the point of shedding your blood. And you can continue on. I'm not going to go, but you can continue on all the way down verse five through verse eight and, and see about the discipline and the endurance that we are to have and that 
that a loving father disciplines his children. What love does God have for us? It's so amazing. It's so amazing. And so no matter how much we may feel, right, abandoned or there's no hope, it's amazing what God does for us. Um, But we can continue to see in this passage, 21, 22, 23, I'll get to verse 24 in here in a second, but at the same time, right, here in Paul's life, the both good and evil principles are at work, right? They're at work, and the fight and the struggle is real, and the flesh is at war against the desires to obey God. And it's very clear here. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wow. Making him captive. It's almost like he he can't get out. Like he can't escape it, right? And, And what does he do? Okay, what does he do? He says here in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Turn me to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 16, it says, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's an understanding here we see in Galatians that there are still desires of the flesh, right, that are constantly going to be there. And what does it say? Walk by the Spirit. How do we walk by the Spirit? We be in the Word, okay? Be in step with the Spirit. Be in tune with the Spirit. Be in the Word be in prayer, right? What does the Spirit do? Spirit counsels us, guides us. How does it counsel us and guides us? By being in the Word, being in prayer. What does it also do? It convicts us. What are you supposed to do with that conviction? We're supposed to act upon that conviction. That's God's desire for us to change, right? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And this is that law that Paul's talking about, right? And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. How do you fight the flesh? Be in the Spirit. How do you be in the Spirit? Be in the Word. Be in prayer. How do you battle against this? Go, and the women should know this very clearly. Go and study the full armor of God and be in prayer. Cover it all in prayer. This is how we battle the flesh. Do you see this battle waging on? Or is there no battle at all? See, we have to understand that we are caught up in this spiritual warfare And Paul sees it. He feels it. He's struggling against it. He's fighting hard. And he comes to the conclusion like, man, and he says what? Wretched man that I am. And it's like as almost as if there's no hope. Who will deliver me from this body 
of death, right? Can you relate? Does this sound familiar? Have you ever been there? But in Paul fashion, he gives a strong, passionate answer, right? Of what? Of deliverance, of hope. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh serve the law of sin. This is the answer to his own question, which he already knows. But he's sharing his struggle with each and every one of us. Why? Because this is to bring us hope. This is to bring us understanding. This is to bring us conviction. The only answer is Jesus Christ. The first part of this verse is filled with joy, filled with assurance, filled with an answer to this. Man, what do I do? Woe is me. There's no hope. I was like, oh, there is hope. And you know there is hope. You see, that's the thing. Sometimes we get in this state of like, man, I, I've sinned and I, I'm, I don't deserve nothing. Or we just get depressed and it's like, I don't deserve nothing. I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to be in the word. I don't want to be in prayer, in prayer. And we have to understand, it's like, well, listen. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Turn to Jesus. Look to him. Stop looking to to other things, other vices, right? Other cravings, other people that we think are, well, I need to get, they'll, they'll make me feel better about myself. We need to call strong, godly men and women, right? To help us with this, but ultimately, what? They're going to point us to Christ. We can't appoint ourselves to Christ. We need to have those people that we have on speed dial and we can call and we know that they're going to point us to Christ. You need to be in God's word. I don't want to be in God's word. You need to pray. I don't, I don't want to pray. Okay, you know what? I'm going to read God's word to you. Stay on the phone. And I'm going to pray. If you can't do it, I'm going to do it for you. It keeps reminding me, I, I'm sorry, I'm such a Lord of the Rings nut. Okay, sorry about that, but it keeps reminding me of, of when Sam, right, and, 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 and Frodo are like, they're going, and they, they're going up the, the mountain, right, to throw the ring in. He's like, I can't make it. He's like, well, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. And he picks him up, and he carries him up that mountain. And so I was like, oh, like 30 seconds ago, Sam can't even walk anymore. Now he's carrying Frodo, right? But it needs to be that way, Right? It needs to be that way. My burdens should be your burdens. My blessings should be your blessings. I rejoice, you rejoice. I weep, you weep. That's the family of God. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We all have the same hope. It brings us all together. Now, we have to understand that the second part of this verse is a reminder Right and a summary of the conflict that is going on between the two natures within us. We must realize and understand that the struggle is real. The struggle is real and hard and painful and sometimes devastating. And we must fight the good fight with our hope and trust where? In Jesus. That's what Paul reminds us. After all this sin and sin and sin and sin, 
And people are probably telling Paul, like, but why do I struggle? He's like, how do we be like you? It's like, look, I struggle too. But it's not the law's fault. It's the fallen world. It's the sin that's still there within us because we haven't let go. We haven't dealt with it all. There's a, a battle that's waging, a war that's waging on within us and in our minds every single day. And the world is pushing you one direction, constantly pushing you one direction. It's time to push back. We're going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 says this. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. See, this goes back to not only us understanding that we need to, this is a warning, we need to be careful, right? We need to do what is fruitful, what is of the light, because we are of the light now. We need to be wary of what is the darkness. We need to not be tempted by the darkness. We need to not go over to the darkness. We need to be pushed. The world is constantly trying to push you to the darkness, And this is for Christians and believers. This is the body of Christ here. And it's saying, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part of it. Okay, I will abstain from it. Ah, but you don't get off the hook that easy. What does it say? But instead, expose them. Expose them. Very simple. Hey, you know that new TV show that came out? You shouldn't be watching it. Hey, you know these top 10 songs over here? You shouldn't be listening to that. Hey, that movie that just came out? Yeah, you shouldn't, be watch- you shouldn't go watch that. I'm exposing darkness. Well, Pastor Raph, you know, I'm an adult now. I'm, I'm 20, and uh, I know everything, and, you know, I'm spiritually mature, and I can handle this, and I can... I'm not judging your age, your decision-making, none of that. I'm just simply trying to live out God's word by saying, hey, this isn't beneficial for you. This is darkness over here. Don't put that in, right? It's, it's, It's not worth it. Well, my friends are going to watch it, or my friends always listen to it. I, I care about you. care about you. You want me to care about your friends? Bring them. 
You'll see you need care for your friends. But see, the thing is, is that we need to understand what we've been seeing all through this is, look, we need to understand what is light and what is dark. And if we are of the light, we need to be of the light. We need to be of the light. Not in and out of the darkness. We need to be of the light. And you know what? When we fall and we stumble and we fall short and we give in to temptation sometimes and we stumble into the darkness, right? We need to reach up and allow God, allow a godly man, a godly woman, help pull us out of that darkness. Just as Jesus reached down his hand, as Peter began to sink in the water after he called him to him and he pulled him up out of the water from drowning. Jesus hugged him and says, oh, are you okay, my dear child? He didn't say that. What did he say? He rebuked him. Why do you have little faith? Why do you have little faith? Now, I'm not saying we need to go help people and rebuke them, right? But we need to have to understand, like, look, hey, let's keep this from happening again. We don't want this to happen again. What can we do? Be there for them. Share mercy, grace, right? Love them. But then comes being the real friend, being the real brother and sister in Christ, saying, how can I help you from stumbling again? How can I be there for you from wandering off in the darkness again? Because it'll happen happens to me, happens to each and every one of you, happens to Paul. Man, I desire what is righteous. I desire what is holy. But why do I, why do, I do what's contrary to that? I hate sinning, but why do I do it? We all struggle with this, but we're not meant to struggle alone. That's where Paul says, look, Jesus. Other parts of the scripture tell us, one another. So don't take Paul's testimony lightly. Take it with conviction and encouragement. And rejoice in the fact that we have such a loving God that he would be able to reveal this to us so that we can relate to it and not come to a place where we feel, you know what, there's just no hope. There's just no hope. Rejoice that we have a loving God that will never leave you without hope. And he will never forsake you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. May we see hear and embrace Paul's words here as something that is not only convicting but something that is encouraging to build us up to lift us up to be more like Christ may we all search our own hearts our own minds and find the sin in the dark places that we need to address, that we need 
to deal with. May we not neglect this area of our Christian walk. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.